The first scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord, and I am the God, I am a jealous God, punishing children for iniquity of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God, and you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, your alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, and but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covenant your neighbor's house. You shall not covenant your neighbor's wife, male or female slave, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has only come to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. Then the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Here ends the reading. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of these scriptures. Amen. You may be seated. Imagine you are driving down a long, straight country road. You're the only car as far as the eye can see. It's been hours since you've seen another vehicle, another person. You have got this road all to yourself. You've got the cruise control set, and you are really, truly enjoying your road trip. The scenery is amazing. Your favorite song is on the radio and you're in the middle of nowhere, but in the very best way. As you scan the road ahead, you realize you're coming to an intersection. You can see the road ahead of you. Nobody's coming your way. You can see the cross street. Nobody's on it. But there's a stop sign at the intersection. No one is coming. You can safely see in all directions for miles, as far as the eye can see. You know for sure that no one is coming, and you're absolutely sure there are no police officers lurking around to see if you're going to stop at that stop sign. Nothing bad will happen if you go straight through that stop sign without stopping. What do you do? Do you stop? Do you interrupt the flow? Do you cancel the cruise control when you're just going to turn it right back on when you get to the other side of the stop sign? Do you obey the rules of the road or do you make an exception? 
People often say rules are made to be broken, right? One of the most famous people to say that was actually General Douglas MacArthur. This really surprised me, but um, I mean, I think of the military as a place where people literally live and die by the rules. But General MacArthur, you know, he was one of the most successful U.S. generals of the 20th century. He was a five-star general, not a four-star, a five-star general, a rank that doesn't even exist anymore. He was one of the joint chiefs. He was he was head of the... I want to get this right. He was head of the Supreme Command for the Allied Powers. In other words, he ran the entire country of Japan after they surrendered in 1945. He famously said, rules are mostly made to be broken. Now, that probably depends on what the rule is (laughs) and who it is that's breaking it. I would guess that a soldier directly under General MacArthur's command who disobeyed a a direct order probably couldn't say as a defense, well, general, you know what they say. Rules are made to be broken. (laughs) I'm guessing that's probably not going to work well. Um, I was hoping Art Varnador would be here uh, or that Wayne would be in here. But, you know, later today I'll be on I-75 because I have to drive down to Fruitland Park. Uh, to get ready for this interview for tomorrow. And uh, let's just say hypothetically that I don't follow the speed limit. Hypothetically, (laughs) use your imagination that I'm on I-75, not going exactly uh, 70 miles an hour or less. And Florida Highway Patrol catches me and pulls me over and comes to my car and says, ma'am, do you know how fast you were going? If I look at the officer and say, Well, you know what they say, (laughs) rules are made to be broken. (laughs) I'm probably going to get a ticket, right? And I I should. I mean, I I really should. The thing is, you know, even if we all kind of agree with the sentiment that rules are made to be broken, even if most of us would at least think about running that stop sign in the middle of nowhere when we were sure no one would get hurt and no one would catch us, We also know that as a society, we do need some governing principles, some governing rules, some community rules. We need some baseline standards in order to all exist together. Bill just read for us the Ten Commandments. It was our first reading today. How are you doing with those? Are those the kind of rules that are made to be broken? I want to look at the Ten Commandments and what they are and what role they play in our life today. In Exodus chapter 20, the Israelites have escaped from enslavement in Egypt. God has brought them out of oppression and into freedom. They're three months out. The Bible says, on the third new moon after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, they were at Mount Sinai. Now, the Sinai Peninsula is this triangular piece of land between Egypt, the land of oppression, and what was then Canaan, today it's Israel, right? So it's the Sinai Peninsula is between these two places, the land of oppression and the land of milk and honey. And, uh, and they're there at Mount Sinai, which looks something like this. And God is speaking to them. God tells Moses, tell all of the Israelites that they are to be God's treasured possession, a priestly kingdom, and a holy nation. And Moses passes that message along. He tells the Israelite leaders, and they say, praise God, everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. As if to say, we will be the most obedient people ever, God. 
We promise. But God knows people are people. And God knows good intentions when God sees them. And God says, great. Well, here are some guiding principles, some principles that I want you to live by. And the first three are about how to live in relationship with God. So God says, I'm the Lord your God. I I brought you out of Egypt. You should have no other gods beside me, right? No little G gods, only the one big G God. And rule number two is don't make images of God. You'll get it wrong and it's going to confuse you. The God who created everything can't be contained in any image that humanity might create. Historically, the church has not done well with this, right? We've made lots and lots of images of God, really in terms of a devotional practice, not because we worship those images. So it is a little different. And rule number three, commandment number three, don't misuse the name of God. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain, right? God says, my name is important and sacred. So don't treat it lightly. Don't toss it around like it doesn't matter because it does. And then the fourth commandment is about how to live in relationship with God and to live authentically as ourselves and how to treat people appropriately in the community. It's a transitional commandment. The fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then the commandments after it are all about how to live in community with each other. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, don't lie. I wish we had time to go into all 10 of the commandments individually, but I learned something this week that really brought this don't bear false witness commandment kind of to a new light for me. And so I want to share this with you. Um, When this commandment was first issued, when it was first received by the Israelites, they would have understood it in terms of an, an official proceeding, right? You don't bear false witness. You don't witness falsely against someone else. Jesus says, you know, say what you mean. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So we understand that really the principle here is never lie. But especially, I think, in an official proceeding or a legal proceeding. I learned this week that the University of Michigan Law School tracks exonerations. Right. So an exoneration is where someone has been convicted of a crime and they've been sent to prison, and then new evidence comes to light, and they're exonerated. They're actually declared not guilty, even though they've already spent time in prison. And I really, I really want our criminal justice system to be good. I really want our criminal justice system to be trustworthy. And I think that's the thing about this commandment. You don't bear false witness because you do harm to the person that you're telling a lie about, but you do harm to the system as well. It undermines the trustworthiness of the system. So the University of Michigan says that in 2022, they don't have the statistics yet for last year, but in 2022, in just that one year, there were 233 people exonerated in America. There have been several thousand since they started tracking this in 1989, but 233 the year before last. And those 233 exonerated individuals lost an average of 9.6 years of their life to wrongful imprisonment for crimes they didn't commit. But the thing about this that really jumped out at me when I read it this week 
is that the University of Michigan Law School's findings are that nearly 80% of those exonerations involved perjury. Now, perjury is not a mistake. It's not when you get on the stand and you say something incorrect, you just you know make a mistake. Perjury is when you get on the stand and you say something under oath that you know is not true. And it's the leading cause of false convictions, the number one contributing factor. It's costing people years of their lives, especially poor people who have to rely on a public defender. And I find that troubling. No wonder God included this from the very beginning. The ninth commandment is, you, should, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The 10th commandment is, don't covet your neighbor's house or property. To covet means to yearn to possess. Don't do that. Be grateful for what God has given you and don't even think about depriving someone else of what God has given them. So these 10 commandments are 10 guiding principles God gives to humanity through the Israelites because God is already in relationship with the Israelites. This is important. Don't miss it. The 10 commandments are not a prerequisite to being in relationship with God. They are born out of an already existing relationship. There are two big mistakes that I think we tend to make with the Ten Commandments. The first one is that we act like they're a prerequisite, as if God withholds relationship from us until we reach a certain level of rule following, you know? Not at all. As United Methodists, we believe in prevenient grace, right? From the moment we are born, the grace of God is with us, going ahead of us even, long before we have even an inkling that God exists God chooses to love us and journey with us before we know a single commandment or could even think about breaking one of them. So the Ten Commandments are guiding principles that tell us how to live our best life. And God gives these to us because God is in relationship with us. God wants us to live fully human. God wants you to live to be the person you are created to be. And notice there aren't any punishments or enforcement provisions in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 21, the next chapter, all the way through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we're going to get plenty of enforcement provisions, plenty of punishments are laid out. The Ten Commandments are expanded into 613 rules or laws or pieces of legislation, and virtually every one of them has a penalty assigned to it. But the Ten Commandments are different These are 10 guiding principles that are meant to help us live into our humanity and do it well. So the first mistake we make is thinking that it's a prerequisite, something we have to satisfy in order to be in relationship with God. The second mistake we make with the Ten Commandments is is that we not only make it a prerequisite to relationship with God, but sometimes we go so far that we replace the good news of the gospel with these rules. We dig into legalism and we abandon our relationship with God and we choose instead to have a relationship with the rules instead of the God who gave us the rules. We get a glimpse of that in our gospel reading today. Jesus's disciples are criticized by the good church people. Anytime you see Pharisees in the New Testament, that's how you can substitute the good church people because that's who they were. The Pharisees were the leaders of the faithful, the, the good church people who went every Sunday. So the good church people criticize Jesus's disciples for violating that fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. 
Why do we remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? Because we're not supposed to live as if every day is just ours to do with what we please. We're supposed to set aside to consecrate one day and make it holy. Keeping the Sabbath is meant to be a gift to us, not a burden. There's a rhythm to working and resting. And only when that rhythm is honored is all of creation what God intends it to be. So keeping the Sabbath holy means we live in a way that allows others to have Sabbath too. I can have some pretty big economic implications. If we ever decide as a society that we're going to take Sabbath seriously, the world will look different. Now, even if you're batting a thousand when it comes to the other nine commandments, there's a good chance you're not doing so well with Sabbath keeping. Do you set aside one day each week to give to God or do you just treat every day like it's yours as if time is not a gift from the God who loves you? Sabbath keeping isn't only about rest or even about worship. Sabbath keeping isn't meant to be self-indulgent and it isn't about self-denial. Sabbath is about genuine reverence for God and love for neighbor. And that will truly, truly renew us. In the gospel reading today, the good church folks criticized Jesus for allowing his disciples to pick grain on the Sabbath, to do work on the Sabbath. So Jesus says, well, remember, the Sabbath was made for mankind. Mankind was not made for Sabbath. Remember to keep these guiding principles as that guiding principles. Don't replace your relationship with God with a relationship with the rules. And then Jesus does what Jesus does. And on, he takes it to an 11. On a scale of 1 to 10, he just takes it a step further. He goes all the way to an 11. He goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath where everyone is worshiping as they should. And he finds a man with a withered hand, a damaged hand. Well, everybody in the synagogue knows the rules, right? They know that anything that could be done to help this man could be done on one of the other six days of the week, but not on the Sabbath. Scripture says Jesus looked at the people sitting there in worship and he was angry. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. Do you know who else in Scripture is described as suffering from hardness of heart? Pharaoh, right? When Moses comes and says, God wants you to let the Israelites go, Pharaoh's hardness of heart comes out and it causes him to be cruel and unrelenting and disobedient to the God of everything. So Jesus looks at the good church people, the folks in the synagogue worshiping God with their prayers and with their presence, but simultaneously giving zero cares about the man sitting in their midst who was suffering and that made Jesus angry. But, but why? How could it be that following the rules meant that those good church people were hard of heart? God said, no work on the Sabbath. And they were like, right, got it. It grieved Jesus because the Sabbath is designed to enhance life. And they were using it as an excuse for indifference. There is nothing holy about indifference to the suffering of others. Jesus rejects any form of religion that reduces religion to rule keeping or rule following. 
legalism as religion and in religion is just a human abomination. It's a way of satisfying our need for the security of clear structures and attainable goals. So instead of having a relationship with God, we become rule followers. And then I I think we have to admit that the church universal has done this far too often. We not only replace relationship with rules, but we look outside of the church and we say, oh, well, those people are breaking the rules. Good thing they're out there. They have no place in here with the good rule followers. That is religion. That is Christianity at its worst. And I would argue that that's a violation of the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain or misuse God's name. When we take what is meant to enhance life and enhance relationship with God, and we use it to exclude people, we are most certainly misusing God's good name. When we take what God means as a sign of relationship, not only Sabbath keeping, but all 10 of the commandments, and we use them to exclude people from relationship or community, we act abominably. That kind of hardness of heart grieves our Jesus. So do a heart check. How is your heart today? Is there some hardness that you need to turn over to Jesus? Is there, is there some hardness that you need Jesus to heal for you today? You know, if this were just about actual rules, like as they're written, I would be doing pretty well. I mean, not to brag, but commandment number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's ox or donkey. Never did it. Never done it once. (laughs) Never looked at my neighbor's ox or donkey and thought, oh, if only. (laughs) Commandment number eight, you shall not steal. I have never taken so much as a candy bar from the convenience store. Taking office supplies when you change a job doesn't count, right? Mm. (laughs) Commandment number six, you shall not murder. You guys, I have hardly thought about murdering anyone today. (laughs) Isn't that impressive? Aren't you proud of me? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder, commandment number six. But I say to you, if you are angry with someone, if you insult someone, you have done wrong. You are liable. Maybe I'm not doing so well after all. Jesus says, following the letter of the law just isn't good enough. These 10 principles, these 10 commandments are meant to be life-giving. Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at another with lust has already committed adultery. You have heard it said, do not bear false witness against your neighbor, but I say to you, do not swear at all. Jesus says, you've heard it said that you can take an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but actually that isn't good enough. Jesus says, I want you to just turn the other cheek. Right? They take one eye, off from the other. He takes it to an 11. Now, I don't think Jesus is quite saying what General MacArthur said. It's not that when we think about the Ten Commandments, we should think, hey, rules are made to be broken. Instead, Jesus invites us to think about the principle behind the rule. The Ten Commandments were meant to be principles that would help us have life and have it to the full. So just following the rules isn't good enough. Your life needs to be guided by your relationship with God, not your relationship with the rules. 
In fact, when Jesus is asked by one of those good church leaders, teacher, which of these commandments, which commandment of the law is the greatest? You remember what Jesus said? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything about the Ten Commandments is based in loving God with all you have and all you are and loving your neighbor at least as much as you love yourself. Those are rules we need to live by. Those are rules we definitely should not break. Amen.